Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome to the Punk Rock and Beer Podcast. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty. This is the Punk Rock NBA Podcast. Today's guest is Vanessa Van Edwards. She is an expert on people skills, something that I think the majority of this audience could probably learn a thing or two about. And I say that because that has always been a struggle for me. She is a writer, a speaker, and she builds herself a behavioral investigator. Her website is called The Science of People, and she has a book called Captivate, and basically that is how she approaches it. She thinks about people skills the same way as I think about social media or as other people think about music production. She has a very scientific, tactical approach to it that I think really resonates with me and will resonate with a lot of you as well. It's really specific, actionable stuff, like if you want people to like you, do this, not that. (laughs) If you want to make a good first impression when you approach a manager or a booking agent or something, do this, not that. Super good stuff. She is just one of the smartest people that I've ever had the opportunity to talk to, so very excited to finally get her on the podcast. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. If you want to support the show, there are a few things that you can do. Number one is you can share it on your social media. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Orcut, Friendster, MySpace. We don't care. Anything is appreciated. Please tag me, tag the guests, tag Deanna. Really helps a lot. Second thing you can do if you extra like us is you can buy some merch. I just designed a bunch of stuff that I think is pretty cool. So you can check that out if you want. There's a link to that in the show notes. Third thing you can do if you really, really like us is you can support us on Patreon. Patrons get access to every show a week early. There's an opportunity to have me review your band or your podcast or YouTube channel or design portfolio or any other kind of creative project that you would like to send my way and get my thoughts on. So if that sounds cool, there's a link to that in the show notes as well. And with that out of the way, let's get into the show. Vanessa Van Edwards, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for making time for this. I know that your time is at a premium. So what I wanted to talk about here, because you are an expert on people skills, is something that I believe my audience is in desperate need of. And I know that because I was once in desperate need of it, and I probably still am. You know, there's a perception that people skills are something you're either born with or not. And I think you've proven that that's not really the case. If you're an awkward person like me, I'm definitely a recovering awkward person. I struggle with social anxiety and stage fright, which is funny because I usually go on more than 100 stages a year and I'm constantly interacting with people. I think that when I would read from those folks, I would think something's wrong with me, right? Like, why didn't I just learn those skills? Was there a class in school that I missed? And so I began to approach people skills as an introvert or an ambivert, I'm somewhere in between extrovert and introvert, to learn, can we learn them from scratch? And the answer is definitely yes. So one of the things you mentioned there that I think is a new idea for people is an ambivert. Can you explain what that means? Okay, so I I had so much relief when I heard that term. So if anyone's ever asked you, are you an introvert or extrovert? And that 
question actually makes you a little bit anxious. That is because I think that most people are not actually the extreme extrovert or the extreme introvert. They're somewhere in between. And so just to define this, extroverts get energy from people. When they think about, when they have a bad day, they want to be around people to make them feel better. When they have a good day, they want to be around people to celebrate. An introvert, they get energy from being alone. So when they have a bad day, they want to recharge by themselves. When they have a good day, they want to savor it and celebrate it, journal, have a glass of wine, read in the backyard. An ambivert is somewhere in the middle. In fact, ambiverts can dial up into extroversion easily based on their goals, but they also need to balance out their social time with recharge time. So you see a lot of ambiverts are extremely successful because they're flexible in their social skills. They know that if they have to hit a stage or they have to schmooze with a VIP or they have to talk to students or fans or readers, they can dial up that extroversion as long as they have an entire day to sleep and do nothing and watch Netflix. So I think a lot of people use introvert as a synonym for like socially awkward or bad social skills, but that's not true, is it? No, it's not true at all. In fact, introversion really doesn't have anything to do with awkwardness. Introversion has to do with where you get your energy. Awkwardness is this pervasive feeling of self-doubt. And self-doubt, I think, happens when you're not doing what you're naturally wired for. So, for example, one thing that I fight against a lot in my work is this idea of fake it till you make it. I do not believe you have to fake it till you make it to make friends or be respected or be successful. In fact, what I have found in my work is that the more people fake it till they make it, the more imposter syndrome they feel, the more fraud-like they feel, and the more inauthentic they come across. And so awkwardness is having this horrible sense of self-doubt and then trying to fake it till you make it or pretend to be an extrovert in order to get ahead. I think that that's what we really have to figure out is, okay, if you're an extrovert, how do you leverage your extroversion so that that makes you charismatic? Versus if you're an introvert, how do you leverage your natural charisma to combat your awkwardness as opposed to telling introverts to pretend to be extroverts? For me, I realized that my strength, I think like a lot of introverts, is like in-depth one-on-one conversations. Whereas, you know, to a lot of those sort of classic extrovert sales types, you know, they sort of flounder there. Uh, And that's not better or worse. It's just like you said, putting yourself in a situation where your natural tendencies are a strength. Yes. And I think that a lot of this, you know, I, I like tracking. I think that what's what gets measured gets managed, right? The famous Pete Drucker saying. Um, And what is important about this is paying attention to those things that you dread. I think that dread is an incredibly important emotion that we don't give enough credence to. In fact, we tend to ignore it, right? We're like, you know, buck up, get excited, do a pump up routine. Like we tend to ignore our feeling of dread, but dread is your intuition telling you, you are not your natural self with this person or in this place versus feeling neutral about an event or a person or feeling excited about it. And so I think that what we have to figure out is when we look at our calendar, if you were to open up your calendar right now and look at it, look at your calendar for the next month, what on there is making you feel dread? Are they logistics things like paying the bills or uh, you know, doing tours? Are they social things with certain people? Are they events or venues or locations or types of things? Like for example, I dread phone calls. I, I found very quickly, whenever I had a phone call, I just, uh, I dreaded it. And that's because I have a much easier time interacting with people when I can see their face, when I can interact with them a little bit more, like with oxytocin, like when we make eye contact, we get a little bit of oxytocin mm. together, when I can read your body language. So in-person and video calls, amazing. 
phone calls are like my kryptonite. So I began to notice that I dreaded my phone calls, but I didn't dread my video calls with the exact same people. On the other hand, you also might notice that there are certain people, whenever they appear on your calendar, you dread interacting with them. And so I think that beginning to track what gives us dread and what gives us excitement is a way that we can begin to learn to leverage naturally what's already working for us or not. I've noticed that there's a dynamic where I dread certain things, for example, going to like meetups ahead of time. But once I'm there and afterwards, I'm really glad I went and I'm like, man, that was actually really fun. And I feel very energized from it, even though I was dreading it ahead of time. Okay, so that is such a good point. That is that is a classic symptom of social anxiety or modified social anxiety. Or if social anxiety is too big of a term, we can say awkwardness. You just mentioned the most important second part of tracking. So the first part of tracking is dread. Dread or excitement? Which one? Well, dread might be a little stronger in my case, more just like, okay, this is going to be tiring, but yeah. That's a modified form of dread. Like it doesn't definitely doesn't get you excited, right? right. You're not really not looking forward to that all week. The second part of tracking is who leaves you feeling better off? What leaves you feeling better off? So are there people, and this happened to me with a couple of fake friends. So fake friendships is one thing that I think we don't talk about enough as adults. A lot of the times we have friendships by default. They're friends because they work with us or we've been friends with them for a long time or we just have always been friends so we might as well stay friends. And so you might not feel dread talking to them because you have a lot of memories, but there was a couple of friends I realized that after I interacted with them, I felt I felt really bad about myself. I felt like I was sort of being judged. I couldn't figure out why I left feeling drained. So the other emotion that I really want to tap into is being drained. When you leave somewhere, are you like, oh, that was horrible. That was awful. That I never want to do that again. I have no energy. I need a whole day to recover. Or do you leave feeling more energized? You know, that was pretty good. That was kind of nice. I like talking to that person. You know what? That was worth my time. So that's the second aspect of tracking is dread versus drained. Got it. Well, let me uh, pick your brain here since we have about 20 minutes here. Let me just kind of pick your brain. We can go rapid fire through a few scenarios that I think will be helpful to the people listening. So most of the people listening to this are probably uh, creators of some kind, whether they're musicians or, you know, YouTubers or something like that. One of the things that we have to do a lot is go to these kind of events, break the ice, pitch people. I think the breaking the ice part is, at least for me, the hardest part, and probably for a lot of people, like let's say you're at an industry event and you see someone across the room and you're like, oh, that's that guy or girl that I've been wanting to talk to for a long time. I know who she is. She doesn't know who I am. What would your advice be for that scenario? Yes. Okay. So the biggest thing when you're thinking about approaching VIPs, influencers, people that you want to know, whether they're like a VIP or not, is there are two different kinds of people in this kind of scenario. Specifically, I'm talking about like barbecues, parties, networking events, schmoozing events, restaurants. When you're, you're approaching someone cold, maybe you have a mutual contact. There are two different kinds of people that I want you to think about. People who want to be entertained or people who want to be the entertainer. And this is the biggest mistake I see when people approach VIPs in any sense. So certain VIPs, they are asked all the time to entertain. They are constantly asked questions about their life. So I'll give you a really specific example. So are you a fan of Tim Ferriss? Do you know mm -hmm. his work at all? Yeah, of course. Okay, so he's an incredible author. He has an amazing podcast. He is constantly entertaining and he is constantly being asked questions about his life. Oh, I'm sure. And I have seen him now at a couple of different networking events. We've been on uh, speaking events. We both spoke at South by Southwest at the same time. I was in the green room at the same time as him. 
and just person after person after person came up and asked him questions. Really good, amazing questions great questions, questions that they'd clearly thought about ahead of time, questions that they hoped would get him really excited because Tim talks about all the time asking great questions. The problem is, is that Tim's job is to entertain people. So the last thing he wants to do on his off time is answer more questions. The one person who walked up to him cold in the green room where he lit up and they had a really long conversation. In fact, the last I saw of them was them walking down the hallway while Tim was on the way to the stage. Mm was the person who came in to entertain him. He literally came in and was like, hey, Tim, like I'm a huge fan of your work, which that's how everyone started. Hey, Tim, I'm a huge fan of your work. I'm a huge fan of your book. Your book changed my life. Your podcast changed my life. I love your podcast. I have this question for you. I think you're going to love it. So this guy came in and said, hey, Tim, I'm a huge fan of your work. I had this story. I I've been dying to tell you, and I've been waiting to see if you were here at this event, and I think you're going to love it. So he kind of like leaned forward, and he hasn't said a word yet. He hasn't say, had to say anything yet. And he launches into this very funny, very relevant story. And Tim is hooked. He's super involved. He's leaning in. He's asking questions. They're laughing together. And then all of a sudden, they're in a conversation. Mm. And after that experience, that was in 2013. So that was oh, quite a while ago. I have seen that dynamic happen over and over again. There are certain VIPs and influencers who love to be the storyteller. They want to make you laugh. They want to talk. They want to share. They want to feel all the good feelings from you being an audience. And there are other VIPs and influencers who are so tired of talking. All they want to do is be entertained and ask really easy back and forth questions. And so that's what I would say is figure out ahead of time which type of person this is. And if you don't know, have both options. Have a really great, interesting question that you could not Google that would actually hopefully stimulate an entertainer and or have a story that you think they would love to hear. Got it. So that kind of that's a much more eloquent and nice version of what I tell people is don't be a punisher. A punisher is somebody who continues interacting in a way that the other person is clearly not interested in long after that person would have liked to check out of the conversation. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are The Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like 
dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, you can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use HyperFollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. How can you tell when somebody you're talking to is not interested? And I know this sounds like kind of an obvious thing, but I see it happen so often that it clearly isn't. Well, you first of all have to be willing to see it. So this happens to everyone. First, you have to be willing to see it. So you have to be looking for disengagement cues. That's what I call them, disengagement nonverbal. So you have two choices when you see disengagement nonverbal. And I think the sooner you spot it, the better. If you see a little bit of disengagement nonverbal, which I'll talk about in a second, you have two choices. One is you can try to re-engage them with a really good question, a really good story, some kind of hot button issue, or you can not punish them any farther. And before they have to make the awkward decision of like, hey, I got to go to the bathroom. It's been nice talking to you. You save them from that by giving them relief and backing up yourself. So disengagement cues um, are mostly nonverbal. So first, you're going to see a total um, slacked face. Typically, when we're not engaged, we have almost no facial movement at all. We don't show any micro expressions because we're not having any emotions. So there are seven universal micro expressions. Any kind of emotion shows some kind of engagement. So contempt, disgust, anger, happiness, those are actually all good. It's when you see the just to like almost like their entire face is melting a little bit. That's when you know you've disengaged a little bit from an emotional standpoint. I, I already felt anxious just seeing your face like that. I thought, oh, no. It's horrible. <laughs> it's, it's, it's absolutely horrible. And by the way, that's different than resting bitch face, which we can talk about in a yep. little bit. But droopy face, just... And you'll even see like a little shoulder sag. The next thing you're going to see is distancing behaviors. Distancing behavior is when we subconsciously want to get away from something or away from someone or we have somewhere to go, we actually distance our body. So this can happen, uh, usually it happens with our body. So what kind of angle back and out. We'll often tip our head back. You'll see that if someone's like feeling very scornful, they'll tip their head back and they'll look down their nose at you. Mm -hmm. Right. That's literally they're judging how bad <laughs> is this conversation going? Like that's right. literally what they're doing. So if you see a tilt back, that's a distinct behavior. If you see the shoulder droop back or a pivot out, that means their their body is literally like, can I go? I'm trying to flee. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so distancing behavior and then that droopy face is what you're looking for most. most. And then, of course, there's the obvious cues, checking phones, checking watch, overhead gazing, looking around, looking for an escape route. Those are the most obvious ones. And I think a lot of people are consciously displaying those disengagement cues because they're trying to tell you politely, like, hey, dude, I'm not into this. 100%. In fact, the best 
The nicest VIPs do that so that you can slowly disengage, wrap up your story, wrap up your questions, get to the point, and then leave them be. So it's actually, I don't ever take disengagement cues as a as a as an insult. I actually feel like they're trying to be polite and let me know they're not engaged with me. So I either have a choice to hit a hot button. So I talk about hot buttons a lot in Captivate, to hit a hot button and try to hit a topic that I think that they're gonna light up with, or to be like, you know what, it was so great talking to you. I'm sure that you want to get grab some food. I'll see you later. Or the the best one is, and if you can do this skillfully, it really works. Sometimes if I'm with an influencer or a VIP or anyone I'm talking to and I see or I sense a little bit of disengagement and the hot buttons aren't working, I think to myself, hmm, it's 45 minutes into this event and they don't have a drink or a plate of food. They probably want to drink or a plate of food. It has nothing to do with me. And so I'll say, you know what? I'm so thirsty. Do you want to walk over to the bar together? I cannot tell you how many times mm. I would have, my awkwardness would have misinterpreted that disengagement as me being boring when in fact they just had like a little bit of hangry. Yeah, they've just been barraged with questions so much that they literally can't walk over to the table and get a plate of food. Uh, like um, a ninja tip, by the way, is if I will see a VIP that um, even if I don't know them, but if I know them a little bit and I see that they're being bombarded with people, I will literally walk up next to them and be like, hey, do you want me to grab you food or a drink? Or do you want to go grab food or drink? Nine times out of 10, that works extremely well. People are food motivated. <laughs> yes. Let me ask a follow-up question to that. Let's say that things have gone well and you've had a good conversation with this person. What's a good way to gracefully end things on a good note? Yes. So I talk a lot about on my website that a last impression is almost just as important as a first impression. We tend to focus a lot on our first impression, which is really important, our nonverbal, what we're going to say, our opening, our story. And then we have these great interactions that just like, like fizzle out. Like the, the worst ending of a conversation is like, it's going great. It's going great. Well, <laughs> it's been great talking. Yep. Handshake, hug. Oh, we're going to hug. Okay. Yeah. Hug, handshake. Hi. Yep. Yep. High five. Fist bump. <laughs> yep. Okay. 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 Bye. 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 Like that's like the worst of all like fizzle. And, and it happens so often because you'll hit a silence or you'll hit a bump or something happens like they're, they're, you know, everyone's sit, sitting down or a presentation starts or the toaster beginning or whatever. And so um, what you want to do is you want to have uh, verbal exit cues in your back pocket. So I think I have four or five of these on the website, but my favorite ones are verbal ways that you can signal to someone that we're wrapping. And people, this works really well. So a verbal exit cue, my favorite one is some kind of a future mention. So if I'm towards the end of a conversation or I feel that awkward silence happening, instead of being like, I will mention, I will ask some kind of future question. So, so what are you up to this weekend? What are you up to later today? What are you gonna do for the rest of the event? Who are you seeing later today? So some kind of future mention. And even that tone of voice as humans, we know, ah, we're getting to the end of something, mm -hmm. right? So I say, so anyway, are you doing anything fun the rest of the day? Answer, oh, cool, right. yeah, I can't wait to see that performer. I can't wait to see that speaker, awesome. Well, listen, it was so great talking to you. Like, this is the highlight of my of my day so far. I will be sure that I follow up with you on LinkedIn or like, here's my card. Um, and yeah, it was great talking to you. Yeah, I'll see you later today. So like, it's, it's a really easy way to go into a future mention then some kind of a next step with some sort of a call to action if you want it. I'll follow up with you on LinkedIn. Here's my card, I'll email you. And then uh, it was so great talking to you, some kind of authentic compliment. You know, talking to you was a highlight of my day. I was so looking forward to meeting with you. This has been so fun. This has been so great. You're so interesting. I loved hearing about your story. Any of those would work as the long end. as they're authentic. And the end, that's it. And less is more in those sort of interactions. Like it's better to have a 
really good one minute interaction with somebody than a sort of awkward, painful five minute interaction. 100%. And that's okay. In fact, I think that we can be way more memorable from one great minute with lots of dopamine. So I have all my favorite chemicals on my mm-hmm. wall. They remind me constantly. So dopamine is the chemical of pleasure. And Dr. John Medina found that when we're able to stimulate pleasure in a conversation, it actually creates a mental post-it note. Like literally their brain marks you as someone who created dopamine. That's how much we love dopamine. And so you can absolutely create dopamine in one minute. In fact, it's better to create a lot of dopamine in one minute than cortisol or adrenaline in a lingering, Mm. awkward, horrible five minutes. Because if they remember you for cortisol. Bad news. It doesn't match the dopamine in the beginning. Right. Well, you mentioned RBF. I will ask this question because this is a selfish one. This is one I struggle with because what what I realized is that I'm not sending the nonverbal signals that I intend to send. So it's actually, I realized this with, uh, do you remember NASA that I worked with, with Chase? Yes. Yeah, so NASA and I are two peas in a pod and he would, you know, we'd be in a meeting with him. He'd be telling us about some idea and then, you know, he was excited about it. And then halfway through, he'd stop and be like, do you guys hate this idea? And we're like, no, it's great. <laughs> like, okay, well, you guys are staring at me like you think this is the worst thing you've ever heard. And we're like, no, it's great. And it's just because that's how both of us are, that kind of engineer sort of demeanor. And and I know Chase well, so it's not a problem with him. But I've realized there's other situations in which I was sending an inaccurate signal. How can I fix that? Yeah, story of my life. So a funny story about my my RBF. I have very, very bad RBF. Actually, someone once told me, oh, you know, you're not as bitchy as you look. Not as. <laughs> I was like, thank you. Thank you so much. This is a real serious issue, especially on video calls, because that's all they have. They don't have anything else. They're really just looking at your face. And so what's really important about this is there's a couple ways that we can combat RBF. First, there's research that RBF is a real thing. And actually, your facial features dictate if you are more likely to have it. So um, there's some really great graphics. I think I either have them on my website or on my my book, but I think I have them on my website too, if you wanted to check them out, where they actually show computer renderings of competent versus incompetent faces and aggressive versus not aggressive faces based on your facial features. So you might have facial features that at rest make you look more aggressive to people which is not your fault, but that is something that you have to know about yourself. So I have certain facial features that make me have RBF because I look closer to the sadness microexpression when I'm at rest. So the sadness microexpression, there are seven universal facial expressions. Sadness is when we pull our mouth down into a frown. You can try it with me if you want, like make a frowny face. Yep, perfect. And then uh, we pinch our inner, inner corners of our eyebrows together like this. And then we droop our lids. So that's the extreme sadness. But if you have a downturned mouth, so at rest, my mouth is downturned. I'll let you see. That's mm-hmm. my mouth at rest. I'm not making a sadness expression. Mm-hmm. As well as my eyes, when they're at rest, they point downwards. They go downwards like this. Mm. So I wear makeup. I wear makeup on my eyes to make my eyes go like that. I don't know if you can see it. The little wing. Mm, the little wing. Yep. The little wing has helped me a lot with looking more open eyed. So Hmm. one is you should know this about yourself. There are some people who at rest use the anger microexpression. So people typically think something is wrong. When I'm listening with my face at rest, they go, are you okay? Is something wrong? Are you upset? Because it looks like sadness. Whereas my husband, for example, he tends to have the anger microexpression at rest. And that is because he has these two vertical lines between his eyebrows. So when he um, is just thinking, he always has these lines engaged. And now, because we're old, they just stay there. (laughs) 
<laughs> they just stay there. And so people always think he's angry, angry with them, irritated. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to know which expression you are defaulting to so you know how to counteract. And where, where can we find this? Yes. Okay. So I have this all in, if you go to scienceofpeople.com slash face, I have a whole free guide on facial expressions. It's also chapter seven in Captivate. And I even have videos that you can see exactly how that works. So one is I want you to compare which face is yours closest at rest. And by the way, if this sounds so unfamiliar to you, if like, if you're like, what are they talking about? You probably have a resting happy face. Mm, I wish I did. Good for you. Get out. <laughs> No, get out. No, it's okay. No, yeah. So that's probably why. So one is to know what to counteract, right? That that you have to make sure that, that you're counteracting. So if I'm counteracting sadness, I want to show engagement, right? Or attunement. That doesn't mean that I want to walk around with a fake smile because that's also super inauthentic. But it does mean that when I'm listening, I try to do what I call have an up face. So an up face is I just, instead of having these not engaged, I just engage them slightly so they're up. So this is me at rest. This is me when I have an up face. Mm. You just turned up the corners of your mouth, maybe a, like a few millimeters. Exactly. The difference is everything. Like it is everything. When we, when I have actually taken slow-mo photos of this or videos of this, it makes such a huge difference. So I know that that's a huge one for me. Immediately gets rid of my RBF. I also know that if I open my eyes a little bit wider when I'm listening, it makes me look more engaged mm -hmm. when I open my eyes a little bit. So when I'm listening, I actually have a lot of hood on my lids. And you can actually, if you uh, open up your phone and look in your camera, look at your face at rest, if you have a lot of hood, you can see a lot of this part of your eye. I have a very big eyelid, so you mm -hmm. can see a lot of my eyes. So it makes me look tired when I'm listening. So if I'm listening like this. Yeah, you don't look, you don't look stoked. Right. I do not look stoked, but actually I'm fully engaged, but that hooding makes me look like I don't have my eyes open. So I have learned that when I'm listening in an important setting, so like video calls or an important meeting, I will widen my eyes a little bit more. So that looks like this. Hmm. That's totally comfortable for me. I'm not fake smiling. I'm not like, <laughs> right, right, which is totally fake. I just know that I'm counteracting those things. So that's what I would do for you is I would just practice what parts of your face are easily and authentically able to engage with people. And I, I noticed I said like the right people. I don't do that all the time. On, on a podcast like this, of course I'm gonna do it because we're on video and I want, I want you to know that I'm engaged. With my team who I meet with every week, they've watched my resting bitch face video. They know that that's my face and they know that I'm not angry. So if you work with people once a week, just tell them, hey, I have these like vertical lines here because I'm getting old. It's not that I'm angry. That's just my resting face. Just I old. actually think it's worth having that conversation. Okay, well, I want to respect your time. So I will uh, I will let you get back to the rest of your day. Any words of wisdom or anything you want to plug before I let you go? I would say so since you have so many talented creatives listening, I see this a lot. We have thousands of people who email me their social confessions, their awkwardness. And I see so many extremely talented people, amazing musicians and artists who doubt their ability or feel like they're not charismatic. And so what I would say to you is everyone has a unique flavor of charisma, just like stage presence, right? Like Mick Jagger has a very different stage presence than Steve Jobs. And Steve Jobs has a very different stage presence than Megan Trainer. But you would call, you would say all of them have stage presence. You would say all of them have charisma. Mm -hmm. And so I'd say to you is don't try to be Mick Jagger's stage presence. Don't try to be Megan Trainer's. I would much rather you figure out what is your unique flavor of charisma. That's not just on stage, it's also in person. So figuring out how you can be your authentic introvert or ambivert or extrovert and feel like you're actually honoring the way that you're wired, 
that's, I think, how we come across as authentic and then therefore charismatic. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And uh, I will hopefully get a chance to catch one of your speaking gigs one of these days. It's uh, on my bucket list. So hopefully I will see you then. I would love it. One of these days. All right. Well, thanks again. And uh, I'll talk to you later. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye. All right, my friends, that does it for this episode of the podcast. If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for listening. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that. And you can just sit at home, think about how awesome this podcast is. That works too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. Hello out there. Yes, hello out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together, we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now on Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts.